Well, Merry Christmas, East Point. All right, that's pretty good. Um, I hope that uh, you know how blessed you are. I think that that was maybe my favorite rendition of that song by Laura and Ed. Um, we wish you Merry Christmas. I mean, that was just excellent. So if we can give them a hand. They were, that was awesome. Our worship team was excellent. Here it is, Christmas Eve. Are you ready? I don't yeah, I heard a lot of no's. I'm not ready either. Uh, I think that we've been talking about an unexpected Christmas these past three weeks, and I think the only thing that would be unexpected is if I was ready for, for Christmas. But the first week we talked about Mary and how she got an unexpected opportunity and her response to that. And then Joseph that second week and how he got an unexpected bomb dropped in his life. I think we've all been there. And then the shepherds got an unexpected invitation to a grand party. And we want to extend that invitation to each one of you tonight because we want to talk about the unexpected answer. Jesus Christ. And it was definitely unexpected. If we look in Luke 2, we're just going to read verses 10 through 14. I know that we read these scriptures earlier, but it just says this. It says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared and the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Christmas Eve for a long time has been my favorite day of the year. For it's tradition in our house growing up that we would always open presents on Christmas Eve right after the Christmas Eve service or the Christmas Eve cantata as we um, uh, went through or had. And I can, yeah, it, it was survival. It was an hour of singing and I can remember my mom waking me up for the hallelujah chorus and said, you better wake up, son. You better stand up or there will be no presents for you. But I can remember that wonder and anticipation, uh, the hope of the possibilities of what we might get for Christmas. Because I had gone through the whole JCPenney catalog, and I knew exactly what I wanted. I had circled it. I made sure that the powers that be knew what I wanted. I just hoped that it was in Santa's price range that I might get what I wanted. And as I remember, I didn't always get everything that I wanted, but it was always good. My dad would always ask me, good Christmas, son? And I can remember genuinely saying, yes, it was good. I was excited for some of the gifts, for many of the gifts that I got. Uh, some of them stood out. I remember I was one of the first ones to get a Nintendo. Oh, man, I loved that Nintendo. I was the cool kid on the block because I had a Nintendo, all right, and Super Mario Brothers. Uh, that was just a huge thing. I can also remember these these electronic football games. Now, this was the Madden of our day right here, all right? Kids, be thankful for how video games have come a long ways. The greatest rule in these games was the forward progress rule, all right? If you didn't have the forward progress rule, every other time your running back was running the opposite way for a safety, 70 yards for a safety. Also, one year I can remember that I was so excited about getting underwear, 
all right? You might think underwear, but if you were in the early 80s, all right, there was a thing called underoos that were just, I mean, everyone had to have these underoos. Now, I got a picture of the underoos. I cut it off at the halfway point because it may be a little bit inappropriate, all right? But we didn't think so at the time. We'd have company come, come over, and we would go get our underoos on because I thought I was Superman with my underoos on. If we would have had pajama day at school, yeah, I would have worn my underoos. I mean, they were tidy whities but they just weren't white, all right? And... and I, I would have got expelled from school, probably. But those were special times growing up. And one year, I remember after we opened all the gifts and we had a great Christmas, my mom wanted to go back to the church because she wanted to ring the bell at midnight on Christmas Day. And I can remember, it was, I was around elementary age, and I thought, I'm not... I am, I am not going back up to the church. And I, I, I told my mom that, and she says, no, we're going back up to the church. I said, mom, why do we need to go back up to the church and ring the bell? It just seemed ridiculous to me. And the only answer I ever got was that she heard that song called I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And all of a sudden, she got into her mind that we were gonna be the ones that ring the bells on Christmas Day. And she got it in her mind, and she was not gonna let it go. It's almost like that scene from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, wherever the mom says, I said my piece and I counted to three. All right? It, we were not turning around. And I can remember my dad trying to plead to him, and, and, and all I'd get from him was, get in the car, son. We're going up to ring the bells. And, and we did. And I remember we tried to ring those bells and uh, bring anything but peace on earth. We tried to disturb the peace so that police would tell us we didn't have to go ring the bells but they never came and saved us. But always after we would ring the bells on Christmas Day, very early, we would always pray as a family. And always the most meaningful prayer of the, of the year. And I remember at first it was mostly my parents that prayed, but it was always a prayer of gratitude for how God had provided. How God had provided for another year how he had sent his son, his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth so that we could have peace, so that we could have that goodwill toward men, including in our home. And as I look back, look back at those years, and it was during those years that each one of us accepted Jesus as our Lord. In those years, the prayer was a little more special as we got mentioned by name because not only had God sent good news of great joy and salvation for all people, but he had brought it to our home. Every year, it got a little easier going up to ring the bells to the point where we look forward to it. And whenever we got into high school and even into college, we started inviting our friends, and pretty soon we had a small army there ringing that bell at midnight on Christmas Day, ringing in the Christmas season. And there was always laughter in that group. We always had fun. There was normally some tears, imagine that. But most importantly, there was special meaning in that bell. It was a great reminder of how God's story and our story were intertwined together. Now, we have our own Christmas traditions, and they're all good. 
But there's times when I miss going up and ringing that bell and having that special prayer. And I know that we all have those Christmas traditions, those Christmas traditions that make Christmas Christmas, that make Christmas meaningful, that make Christmas special. And it was about 2,000 years ago that tradition also played a big part in the story in the life of Mary and Joseph. I always think of that song, Fiddler on the Roof, tradition, tradition. You guys know that song? Have you heard that song? Thank you. We did hear that song. I mean, we can't break tradition, can we? No way, we would never do that. It was tradition in first century Palestine that the fathers would provide for the families, that they would teach their sons the Torah, that they would teach them a trade. It was tradition. It was tradition that the mothers would teach their daughters how to cook according to their kosher laws. They would teach them to observe the laws on purity. It was tradition. It was tradition for the fathers to pick out a girl to marry his son, an arranged marriage. Now, as a father of a 13-year-old girl that I think is, might be starting to notice the boys, the scary time in the Norman household, I might be okay with this tradition. I might be really okay with this tradition. I may get some resistance from a certain 13-year-old girl, but I would be okay with that tradition. I mean, hormones, what was God thinking? I don't know. But I mean, the Jewish life in that day, though, was this. Hey, just stick to the script, and everything will be good. And of course, they were awaiting, they were awaiting a savior, a conquering king that would bring freedom to their people that was under the Roman rule, that was under the, under the oppression of the Romans. But there had been silence for 400 years. How could we expect it now? But God has a way of flipping the script on tradition in some big ways. And so many times, he turns our expectations upside down into something wonderfully unexpected. Whenever we have enough faith, to get away from the script. And the script of that day seemed to be already written by their fathers. And this should have been the most exciting part, the most exciting time in the script of Mary and Joseph. I mean, the, Joseph's father had paid the dowry and now Joseph and Mary had been, were betrothed to be married. They were engaged, but it was a much more binding agreement. Back then, there was no date set for this big wedding. Instead, the groom would go back to his father's house and they would start to build a home together. And they had, they had to be especially, this had to be especially exciting for Joseph because he was a carpenter. The father would serve as the contractor and the groom would work as the builder. And the groom would go to the bride and say, hey, I am going to prepare a place for us. And when it is ready, I am going to come back for you. So you need to be ready. Now, this would have been a great deal for Joseph's bride because he was a carpenter. Mary was set. But for my wife, Audra, I mean, this would have been a horrible deal. I mean, I, I thought I was doing good whenever Brooks would get those Lego sets and it said um, four to seven years. And then someone explained to me that that wasn't, that wasn't, um, that was who it was for, not how many years it should take to complete, all right? 
If this was the custom today, this is probably somewhat what our house would look like. There you go, Audra. Um, I'm not sure Audra would come uh, if I build her that one. It's a good thing it's not customary today to build a house for your, for your bride. But the groom would eagerly await to finish this dwelling place. Uh, for me, it would just been a couple hours probably to get that done. But they would work and they would work. And the groom, he was excited about going to get his bride. The father, the contractor, he wanted to make sure everything was just perfect. And he would say, Dad, is it, is it ready yet? No, son, not yet. A few more finishing touches. And they would work a little bit longer. Dad, is it, is it ready yet? Just a couple more things, son. It's getting there. Dad, is it ready? And finally, when everything was just set, the father would say, all right, it's finished. Today is the day. Go and get your bride. So the groom would gather up all his buddies and they would go to the town of the bride and someone would go ahead and they would announce, Behold, the bridegroom comes. And at the sound of the shofar, a trumpet-like horn, the groom would come with his procession and the vows would be exchanged and then the celebration would begin. And it was a celebration unlike any other. They would celebrate for seven days. They would feast for seven days before the groom would finally get to take his bride to the home that he had prepared for her. And what a grand celebration. It was a great celebration of the commitment the two were making to one another, for better or worse, for rich or for poor, in sickness or in health. I take you. I will be there for you. I will provide for you. I will have your back until death do us part. Maybe the most exciting time in a young person's life. And for Mary and Joseph, they would get to experience none of it. Instead, Mary and Joseph would trade it all in. For a child and a promise. Now maybe they thought of Abraham. Or maybe they thought of Joseph or Moses who went through a great amount of tests and trials only to see God's provision finally come in the end. Maybe he thought of those words from Jeremiah. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Whatever convinced them to move forward, I am sure it wasn't long before they realized, hey, this, this isn't going to be easy. I mean, on many occasions, they had to be asking, God, is this really part of your plan? You mean I am supposed to take my very pregnant wife to Bethlehem? It's a two-week journey by foot. How can this be a part of your plan, Lord? What do you mean there's no room in the end? We are carrying God's child. Could he not leave one room open? One room. Really? A stable? A manger? Hold on, you want, to, you want us to take, go where? Take your child where? To Egypt? God, this... This wasn't part of the script. How can this be part of your plan? And I could imagine that they felt much more like they were in a battle than 
and experience the promise of peace on earth and goodwill toward men. What do you mean that if we don't go to Egypt, that they're going to kill Jesus? What have you got us into, Lord? I didn't sign up for this. It probably felt like a heavyweight prize fight where they were just going round after round after round. And the only question was this. Were they going to answer the bell? But God continually gave them little reminders. Hey, be strong. Be courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be terrified. For I'm with you. I go with you wherever you are. I will never leave you, nor, I will, nor will I ever forsake you. And the question tonight is this. Do you believe in those promises? Do you believe that he is here for you? that he sent his son for you, that he will never leave nor forsake you, that he wants the best for you, that his way is the best way, that he sent his one and only son for you so that you could have peace on this earth, so that you could find his favor, so that you could have goodwill. I can't help but think that there's people here today that seem to be experiencing anything but peace on earth. And they're asking that question, God, how can, how can this, what I'm going through, be part of your plan? My load is too heavy for me to carry. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you've lost your health. Maybe the people who you love the most have lost faith or lost belief in you. Or maybe you've even lost belief in yourself. Your dreams have died or you've even stopped dreaming altogether. And I love how Paul reconciles these moments. And if there's anyone who could have asked that question, God, how can this be part of your plan? It would have been Paul, shipwrecked and beaten, thrown into prison. But all through that persecution, his attitude was always this. To live is Christ and to die, well, that's gain. That's all right with me. He says in Philippians 4, he says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This isn't easy. This life isn't easy. It wasn't supposed to be easy, but Paul says that we can find confidence in this life when we walk by faith and not by sight. Paul basically says this, this life is hard. So what? Because Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord of all. And he's going to help me through this. He's going to be with me. I know he'll never leave nor forsake me. I mean, even, the, even Jesus' disciples, his closest friends struggled with this. How can this be part of the plan, Jesus? Even they didn't get it. I mean, really, a crown of thorns, a cross, a tomb. How can this be part of your plan, God? When John 14, Jesus is just getting done explaining to his disciples that he's not going to be with them much longer. His disciples are devastated because 
They have realized that Jesus has given them purpose. They find their identity in him. They find their safety in him. He is home to them. And now he is leaving. Coming to this realization, Jesus explains to them in John 14. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if you go, if, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And the disciples would have recognized this talk because this was groom talk. He was going back to his father's house to prepare a way for his followers to come with him, to be with him, to come home. First Thessalonians 4, 16, 16, it says this, it says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel, Here comes the bridegroom. And with the trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive or are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be... So we will be with the Lord forever. The disciples said, all right, God, all right, Jesus, how do we get there? And Jesus says, through me. I am the way. Follow me. I am the truth. Trust me. I am the life. It's only through me that you'll find eternal life. You see, Jesus was going to his father's house, but he wasn't going to prepare rooms. The rooms were already made. He was going to, to prepare the way to his father's house through the way of the cross. And why would he do this? Why would he do this? It's simple. Because he loves you. Because he loves you and he desires a relationship with you for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness or in health, in good times or bad. He will be there for us. He's got our back. And not death to us part. Forever. For eternity. The disciples would have understood that they just needed to be ready. We need to understand also that we need to be ready. We need to have our hearts ready. See, when our hearts are ready, we put our complete faith and trust in him. And we have one of those, God, how is this part of your plan moments? It is through faith in Jesus Christ that we'll be able to find his peace. It's through great trust that we'll be able to recognize his favor. And we will be able to say, I don't care what this world throws at me. It is well with my soul. There's a story of a family on a cold Christmas Eve many years ago that every year would get all dressed up and head off to their country church to celebrate the Christ's birth. And everyone would go except for the father. The father just didn't get it. He didn't understand. I mean, why did God have to come to earth? Why did he have to save us this way? So every Christmas, he would send his family off to church and then enjoy a silent night at home. And on this particular cold Christmas Eve, the mother and kids headed off in their Christmas best to the Christmas Eve service. 
when, and he was all set for a nice silent night at home. He had his fire all going. He had his paper ready to go. When all of a sudden, he heard a noise at the window. When he went over to investigate it, he, he saw a few small birds that were lost. And he knew that if he didn't go out to save those birds, that they would surely die. And he, got, he hatched a plan that, hey, if I can just get them to the barn, they will be safe. They'll survive the night. So he got all bundled up and he tried to get them to the barn, but he couldn't get them to follow him. He tried breadcrumbs. He tried to turn the light on the barn. He tried everything, but nothing would work. And exhausted, he thought, you know what, if only I could become one of them, then they would listen. Then they would follow. And I could lead them to safety. And all of a sudden, it clicked. You see, God had sent all kinds of signs and miracles and prophets, but the people still didn't get it. They still didn't understand, so he said, you know what, I'm going to become one of them. Then they will listen. Then they will follow. Then I'll be able to lead them to safety. I'll be able to lead them to salvation. Emmanuel, God with us. Well, that was maybe the last time he ever had a silent night again. Because at that moment, he heard the bells on that little old country church signifying the start of that Christmas Eve service, and his heart was changed. And he thought, I need to get down to the church and celebrate the king, to celebrate the great sacrifice that God has given to us through his son, Jesus. I need to celebrate that with my family. Here's the thing. I don't want any one of us to experience another hollow and fake holiday season where we try to manufacture a great Christmas experience or allow the world to try to manufacture that Christmas experience. Instead, I I pray that we allow Christ to affect us to our core, to change our hearts. He says in Revelation 3.20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. Jesus has come, and he has come to bring salvation to all people. Are you ready? Are you ready to receive the gift, the greatest gift of all? Because God answered. God answered our greatest need. Our greatest need for a redeemer our greatest need for a rescuer, our greatest need for a savior through his son, Jesus Christ. And your answer to that is the only thing that's going to matter a hundred years from now. Who do you say Jesus Christ is? Is he savior of your life? Have you allowed him into your heart? Have you experienced his peace, his goodwill, and his favor in your life. If you've never done that, there's no greater time than right now. Are you ready?